0: Last time on Licensed to Parent.
1: It seems like the common denominator with regard to health, mental and physical health, is devotion. How devoted, how committed is a person to their religious faith? And there are a lot of commonalities between these different faiths, but it does seem that to what extent is that person's life uh, revolving around their religious beliefs Uh, Their decisions, the way they act, the way they behave, the way they treat others, the way they talk to themselves. To what extent is that centered on their religious faith? That seems to be the key factor.
0: That's Dr. Harold Koenig. We talked with him last time about those having a devoted faith experiencing happier and healthier lives. We'll wrap up that conversation today on License to Parent. And welcome once again to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, helping troubled teens in the hills of Northeast Georgia. And for those who may have missed last week's conversation, I'll invite you to head back to our website at LicensedToParent.org. And uh, you can listen to get caught up on where we are. But joining us today once again in the Licensed to Parent Laboratories is uh, Dr. Harold Koenig. He uh, completed his undergraduate work at Stanford University, nursing school at San Joaquin Delta College, medical school training at the University of California at San Francisco, and uh, additional studies in geriatric medicine, psychiatry, and biostatistics at Duke University Medical Center. And uh, he is, uh, in fact, currently on staff, uh, on faculty, rather, at Duke as a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences. But uh, we were talking with Dr. Koenig last week and are continuing this week talking about how faith affects one's well-being. And that's been the subject of a lot of his research. Trace? Again, Dr. Koenig, thank you
2: so much for being back with us. Uh, I guess we'll start off here by asking you, if it is so important to have empirical data, scientific data, to substantiate the benefits of spirituality and religious faith, I I guess the question is, how exactly can we empirically substantiate something that is genuinely spiritual?
1: Well, you know, the way we do it is we measure religious beliefs and practices. So we we ask people, you know, how often do you attend religious services? How often do you pray? How often do you read religious scriptures? What percentage of your income do you give for religious uh, causes each year? You know, these kinds of How much time do you spend volunteering for religious reasons? These are the kinds of questions that, along with not just behaviors but also beliefs, To what extent is your life centered on your religious faith? To what extent have you surrendered your life to God? Um, These are the kinds of, again, questions that we ask, and there are responses that people circle that then come up with a score. And that score we then look at in relationship to everything else health wise that you can also measure and come up with a score. And
2: so we're we're including
1: well being, life satisfaction. There are all standard measures of these that have been used you know for decades in the social sciences. So the the newness of this work is that we have been able to quantify religious belief and practice and we have then correlated it with various other health outcomes. Now the the big weakness of that is that it is difficult to accurately um, determine just exactly how religious a person is because these are all subjective reports. So people can lie about how often they go to church or how often they pray right. or you know whatever their belief to what extent their their life is surrendered to God. They they can they can lie. To, and they do, well, you know, in a certain percentage of people. So that makes it exact. But what's remarkable is the consistent correlations that have been found between religious faith. And greater well-being, happiness, and life satisfaction, despite those weaknesses.
2: But there's a common argument from the atheists that will say correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. And the common thread uh, that you had told me uh, in the last program, told us in the last program, was that devotion was the, w- one of the biggest things. But people can have a religious devotion to a hobby. So uh, is there any validity to to that uh, concern.
1: People worship all things, all kinds of things, except for God, yes. They, <laughs> they worship their, 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 their partner, you know, their wife, their Music, girlfriend, sure. their job. Yes, people, you know, money, they worship also, they are devoted to many things. But what we try to make very clear is that we are measuring devotion to God, and to religious practice, Mm -hmm. and to religious belief. In fact, one of our measures, actually, if the first question of what we we call the belief into action scale, this is a measure of religious commitment that quantifies to what extent that person is really committed to their religious belief. And the first question, I ask the person, what is the most important thing in your life? What is? What do you value the most? One period, family. Two period, uh, my work. Uh, three period, you know, partying, uh, having fun. Four period, you know, it goes down. One of those ten, one of those ten options is my relationship to God. If they don't circle that one, that my relationship to God is being the most highly valued. They get a zero on gotcha. that item. Gotcha. And if okay. they circle that, they get a 10. Gotcha. So that gives you a sense of, mm. you know, of, of how this is quantified and, and the measured.
0: Gotcha. Well, I, I do like the fact that, as you described it a few minutes ago, you ask a number of questions, one of which is how much of your time and money are you spending on? This faith of yours. And as Scripture tells us, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's kind of an outside indicator that might reaffirm that, because I do know that a lot of people who attend Christian churches know, oh, wait a minute, the first answer is supposed to be God, but their lives may not actually follow what they say is the most important thing. I am curious, though, Doctor, about... um, how one quantifies well-being because that also is very subjective and uh, uh, with me for example i always hate those computer security questions that ask like you know what was your favorite Band. What was your favorite color and all those things? Because for me, my favorite changes on a day-by-day basis, and I can never remember the answer to the security questions for that reason.
2: Yeah, because there's a lot of happy pimps, perverts, and mm-hmm. prostitutes that think they're doing pretty
0: well. Well, ha- how do you quantify the well-being question, though, so that you can better correlate this? Yeah, you know,
1: there are these standard measures that social scientists have, you know, validated, done all of these statistics in order to be sure that that they are measuring exactly what they're supposed to be measuring, comparing them with gold standards, et cetera. So these questions are, and they do change. Again, this is not an exact, the social sciences in particular, it's not like measuring your blood pressure. You know, it's not an exact, it's, it's depending on people's subjective sense of how they're feeling right now, you know, and as you said, that changes, that changes with, you know, with, with your indigestion, it changes, right,
2: right.
1: you know, but so these measures are just asking, you know, uh, on a scale from, you know, zero to 10, how, for example, how satisfied are you with your life? Not at all to very or completely satisfied. Yeah. So, you know, there's a difference between the zero and the ten, sure. uh, if nothing else, um, and that can be captured. Now, what what amazes me, really, truly amazes me, is that despite the problems and the in, a lot of the inaccuracy of the measurement of well-being and of religious devotion, religious involvement, the fact that you you can actually find correlations very consistently and it's not just correlations these are also predictions so people's religious involvement at at baseline years before is you can predict changes in well-being over time that are greater among those who are more religious mm-hmm. and interventions where you take somebody who's unhappy and you do a religious intervention that or a, or a secular intervention you can show that the person particularly those who are religious to begin with those who are receiving the religious intervention get happier get less depressed mm-hmm. you know faster yeah. significantly faster statistically faster despite all these limitations in the measurement uh, mm-hmm. i think we are detecting only the tip of the iceberg here. I think you're right. Given all of these limitations, I think probably religious involvement has a much, much greater impact on well-being than we can actually do, given the limitations of the methods.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that same non-exactness of science is running rapid in the he- mental health field as well. I don't think that's an exact science either, uh, not as a lot of people might believe. Uh, but is a genuinely changed life uh, sustained over time, is that considered scientific proof or just overwhelming evidence of spiritual impact?
1: Well, you know, you you never say, as a scientist, (laughs) you never say proof, but you do say evidence. So So, this is, you know, a a religious faith that is sustained over time. Um, There is plenty of evidence, scientific evidence, showing that those individuals do better. Mm -hmm. And they don't just do better in terms of their well-being. They do better in terms of their relationships. Their resiliency to stress, their behaviors and also their physical health. They, they, they live longer, they recover faster from injury, just about everything. it's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean and, and there is research that backs up ever all of this. I'm working now on the third edition of the Handbook of Religion and Health, and my co-author is a, uh, is a full. Professor at the Harvard School of Public Health, who has a degree in mathematics from Oxford University, a PhD in in, in mathematics, who is a, who has written the books on longitudinal data analysis that are currently used in universities and uh, and by other research. He's my second author, and a full professor of psychiatry at Harvard is my third author. So these individuals have written, and and they are helping me to summarize all of this research showing these connections. And and these this research has been published in some of the best journals in the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, if you want a proving ground or at least a, a overwhelming evidence ground, uh, come on down here to Shepherd's Hill and we'll be able to... To, to work with you on that, but
1: uh, we've been talking. You could. You could do a study there, definitely, with your with your young people.
0: Absolutely. My wife, by the way, says you could do a study in our household. We have five kids, and she said she gave birth to a study group. So <laughs> if you ever need additional <laughs> research subjects. There
2: you go. Well, we've been talking a lot about religion and spirituality, but I don't know if, if we've really nailed down the difference between religion and spirituality. Uh, that might be something that our listeners need to have parsed out for them.
1: Well, that's a good question, and there is a lot of controversy about that in the field that I work in. We use religion to include not only religious involvement in a faith community, but also one's own personal religious beliefs, one's personal commitments to one's religious faith, one's relationship with God. Spirituality, on the other hand, has actually become so broad, that it's tried to exclude religion. Right. So it, it excludes God and all of the responsibilities that are actually the causes for the better health. Right. So the way, what's being excluded within the spirituality, in other words, the responsibilities, the behavior, sometimes the suffering, yeah. what is being excluded, that leads in the long run to greater health and better well-being. There is a delayed gratification. There's not immediate, you know, joy and happiness.
0: Right. We're talking today with Dr. Harold Koenig. He's a psychiatrist, a university professor at Duke, and also the author of a number of subjects, including... Uh, What we're talking about today, and that's uh, where faith and well-being intersect. You can find his books on Amazon, and his last name, Koenig, is spelled K-O-E-N-I-G, if you're looking that up. By the way, if you missed last week's broadcast, which was part one of this conversation, you can go back and listen through that on our website, LicensedToParent.org. A quick break, and then we'll be back with more conversation with our guest, Dr. Harold Koenig. Stay with us.
3: In the training of our children, what role should public school play? Documentarian Colin Gunn takes a panoramic exploration of this issue by hopping in a school bus for a field trip all over America in the DVD Indoctrination. Colin conducts a series of candid interviews and discovers how God's recipe for training the next generation is being replaced with a humanistic, man-centered program that fragments the family and undermines the influence of the church and the Great Commission. Christian teachers and principals share how they're attempting to walk the tightrope between teaching what they do not believe and being restricted from their God-given call to be salt and light. Indoctrination, public schools and the decline of Christianity in America. Available in the license to parent store at licensedtoparent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherd's Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund.
0: Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherds Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered non-profit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherds Hill Academy.
1: It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherds Hill Ministries and Licensed to Parents to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. I cannot gainsay how important this is. And to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society.
0: Get the help you need at Shepherds Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org. helpmytroubledteen.org. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Our goal on Licensed to Parent is to take what we're learning inside the gates of a residential program for troubled teens and export it so that you can be more intentional in your parenting and hopefully not need our services down the road. Uh, our host is Trace Embry and uh, I'm Rich Rosl. We're talking today with Dr. Harold Koenig about uh, where faith and well-being intersect, at least from a psychological psychiatric, medical standpoint. And, Trace, we're going to turn this around a little bit more toward the parenting aspect of this and and how to make all this work together. Absolutely. Dr. Koenig, would you say there's a
2: spiritual component to child-rearing, whether the parents accept that premise or not?
1: Well, I I absolutely agree with that. I think that raising a child, I mean, and and the way religious involvement influences uh, that child— begins in the womb, literally, in the womb, and then uh, and 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 in the parent, in in the parent, uh, the the devoutly religious parent is going to probably be less anxious, less depressed. They are likely to have a spouse, not always, but likely to have a spouse uh, to help them uh, so they don't have to work desperately to try to you know to try to survive. Uh, They are likely not to drink alcohol and uh, use drugs. All of those factors, when the child is literally in the womb, Mm -hmm. will result in a healthier brain as the child's brain grows and develops. And, um, you know, when the child comes out of the womb, is born, if they're born into a family that loves them, that wants them, uh, you know, a family that is a mother that's not depressed, stressed out, or on drugs, that parent is going to be more available to that child mm-hmm. to provide them with the what they need, which is basic trust. That trust then transfers over to God later in life mm-hmm. so, so it, it really it really goes across the lifespan, but it begins the pattern starts during. The early years, during childhood, during mm-hmm. that time when parents are sure. raising their kids, providing them with religious education, involving in religious activities with their child. Yeah. You know, there was a research study that just came out not long ago that, that showed that uh, they, they followed women who had uh, a child out of wedlock in their teen years. In their teen years, they followed them for like 45 years and to see what happened to the the child. And what they found was that if the mother was engaged in religious activities with the child, that that, that predicted not only, you know, future, <laughs> you know, better health, mm-hmm. greater well-being, less depression, more stability, less behavioral problems. It, it just, across the board, mm-hmm. it predicted... Better, better health and greater well-being, greater yeah. productivity, yeah. Um, et cetera, That's et cetera, surprising. in the child. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's, parenting is indeed a spiritual practice. In fact, probably uh, the most important part of parenting is the religious and spiritual aspects of, of raising a child.
3: Couldn could
2: not agree more. I mean could not agree more. And so so in light of that and all you've just said, does love and discipline, and discipline being just one component under under the umbrella of love, have spiritual roots also?
1: Well I absolutely do think that's true. And you know, I, I you know there's been a lot of controversy about about discipline, you know, and, and child abuse and spanking and all of that, right? right. you know, the, but the research does show very clearly that when, you know, that the discipline is important, and it cannot be done out of anger or out of frustration, but if it is done out of love, that, I mean, you can show that, you can show that, you know, objectively, scientifically, sure. And when the discipline, sometimes firm, is done out of love, that that does not result in any kind of negative consequences. And if anything, you know, it's positive consequences.
2: But let's just clarify that. It
1: has to be done out of love. Anything that, you know, because a lot of times we discipline our kids because we're upset. They make us mad. They disappoint us. Right. And it's natural for us then to sometimes, you know, do things that we're going to later regret because we're we're operating on emotion. True. You can, if you discipline your child out of emotion. That, now, that will cause problems. You are so in right. Child, so in your relationship with the child,
2: so right about that. And there's a little semantic thing, though. I think we need to clarify. Uh, y- you said, uh, uh, "Don't discipline your child out of out of anger," and I agree with that. But I do also believe that in your anger, do not sin, and that sometimes your anger controlled by the Holy Spirit is what you actually have to have to exercise the discipline that you need to, to exercise. Jesus in his anger, not out of his anger, cleansed the temple. And so I think there's a, it's a, it's a fine line there, but I think it's worth uh, talking about because there are a lot of parents who will not discipline simply because they're afraid. Uh, that their that their emotion um, is, is uh, going to get in the way. And if that's the case, they do need to step back. But is, is there a point to be made there?
1: I think you have a point to be made. It is, as you said, a very, very fine line because mm-hmm. it's easy to – because it's so easy for us to do it. I mean, we're just right. – the way we're <laughs> – the way our human aspects are is we, we respond and, you know, from emotion. Right. Um. But but there, you know, uh, Jesus provides a good role model in that regard. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no doubt. You so know that, as you said, in not not out of anger, but kind of you know in in. But right. you know, really. Love has to overwhelm everything. I mean, you discipline your child because you love them. Exactly. And that has to be very clear to them.
2: Exactly. But but there's some things I think we, sh- as Christian people, should be angry about. We should be angry about the injustices in the world. We should be angry that uh, you just found out that your son was molesting your daughter. That should make you angry. But in your anger, do not sin. But I think this is important because I really want people to understand this. Uh Dr. Koenig, since discipline, whether imposed from the outside by a parent or self-imposed, is steering a person to resist his carnal urges, desires, or direction toward a higher good and a greater reward than the result of following just his uh, path of least resistance of those natural urges, desire, and direction, could this not at least be an evidence of the spiritual root?
1: Well, I do think you're right. I think this this could very well be. I mean, um, God has created. You know, my my belief is that God has created us because of His love for us. everything. Comes out of His love for us. Absolutely. Um, and you know, we He has given us this tremendous gift of free will because He wants us to be able to love Him back in a free way. Right. And He has made our. Com- our Constitution in a way that that enables us this free will, but we also have you know he made us human part of the fall was that you know we have these human desires and drives and for immediate gratification that that are self centered yeah. for pleasure for yeah. lust and you know, they, in the end, are our downfall. They create so many problems in our mental, our physical, our social relationship, everything, in the end. And the rules and regulations the dis- that, that discipline should follow, those are designed to, in the long run, make a person healthier, happier, more loving, more lovable, and all of these things, because God knows us. Right. He's the ground control, right, right, for the pilot. We're flying up here. We can't see where the plane's going. Yeah. So we connect with ground control, who is, knows where we're going, can see where we're going, yeah. knows how we're made up. Right. And and it requires discipline for a, to guide us in the direction that he wants us to be, which is to be the healthiest, happiest person
2: possible. No doubt. It's almost like God created man as his uh, divine experiment. Uh, And the fact that our carnality uh, and and the fall in the garden is a great case for for grace. And Jesus, or God is like, the Father is like saying, you know what, I started this thing. You know what, I'm going to go and and self-sacrifice. I'm going to come down to earth in the form of my son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give them a way back to me since I got this ball rolling in the first place. That to me makes logical sense. Uh, That's just the way I look at it. But we are out of time. I'm so sorry. Me
1: too. Me too.
0: (laughs) We are. And our guest today has been Dr. Harold Koenig, again, a psychiatrist, a Duke University professor, and an author on a number of subjects, including what we've been talking about today, where faith and well-being meet. Uh, You can find his books on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And again, uh, the last name Koenig is spelled K-O-E-N-I-G. And Dr. Koenig, we're so grateful for your spending time with us today. Uh, Thank you so much. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Rich and Trace. And, uh, you know, same to you all.
0: And once again, this is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. And you can find our first conversation with Dr. Koenig uh, on our website at licensedtoparent.org. That's also where you'll find links to our blog and our social media connections and also where you can join us in our ministry outreach. Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill, as I mentioned, and Shepherd's Hill Academy is a leading Christ-centered residential program for troubled teens. Now, unfortunately, working with troubled teens is not inexpensive. It takes money to keep that program running and to help our work with parents and their teens going strong. For that reason, we invite your partnership. To find out more about us and to see how you can join us in this ministry, please take a moment and visit us today at LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on the program is Daniel Fazzina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Roswell, inviting you back again next time where once again you can renew your license to Parent. And remember, folks, if
2: you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless. See you next time.